Uh, hey, I'm really, really glad to be here with you guys today. I bring greetings uh, from our downtown congregation. And, uh, and also the last few weeks, I've been able to, uh, to spend time at our other congregations, uh, frontline congregations, and I bring good reports from them. It's always important to realize uh, you're part of Frontline Church. You're part of one church and five congregations all across central Oklahoma. And one really fun report I would bring from Frontline Shawnee is that this year, uh, to date, they have baptized more people than all of last year combined. Uh, and so God is doing amazing things. That's worth clapping about. That's worth celebrating. <clears throat> it's really fun um, to be a part of our church uh, in any one of our congregations, but also get to serve in the capacity that I do and occasionally visit those congregations. It's fun to see what God is doing in these different contexts and communities. And so today we're going to pick up where David left off last week in 1 Corinthians, or two weeks ago, I should say, in 1 Corinthians 13. And so if you would please pray for me and I'll pray for you. And we'll see how God would shape us by his word. Sound good? Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Even just praying that today is an amazing thing to edify us, God. In the name of Jesus, you hear our prayer. We have confidence. Scriptures tell us. That, Father, we can now stand before you praying in Jesus' name with boldness. And we also know that whatever we pray in his name that you'll give to us, that his name might be glorified. And so, Father, would you grant to us ears to hear today that Jesus might be glorified? Would you grant to us hearts that would already give him our yes today that he might be glorified? And for whatever we talk about, God, I ask that you would set a guard over my mouth that there would be nothing unhelpful. That whatever is talked about today would be useful. And God, I do pray for where this sermon is lacking to meet the various needs in the room. That you would fill up what's lacking, that we would all leave this room today saying, surely I have met with the living God. And not because a man stood up to talk, but because of an open Bible living an active word of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus met me. And so God, we ask all of that to the glory of your son, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that God the Father might be pleased today. And in Jesus' name we pray. Now all people said, amen, amen. Hey, one of the things that I love about our church, uh, again, as I mentioned, just across our frontline congregations, one of the things I love about our church is the variety of denominational and religious and non-religious and a variety of backgrounds that represent the people of our church. We've got everything in our congregations, maybe even this one here, we've got everything from people who've come out of Church of Christ backgrounds and Catholic backgrounds. Getting those people together is a miracle in itself. We've got people from Episcopalian backgrounds and Pentecostal backgrounds, people from Baptist backgrounds and Assemblies of God backgrounds. We've got people who don't have any background in church and are in some ways better off because of that. We've got those who are basically born in the church pew. We've, we're sort of like, when I think about our church, one of the things I love about us is we're sort of like a, a soda fountain suicide. Remember those where you just sort of get every flavor and you just throw it all in, in, one, in one cup. I, I love that about our church. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit as we've been in studying 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 specifically where Paul takes up the most clear teaching in the New Testament on how that works for the good of the church. Our varied backgrounds mean we've, we've also heard a variety of things on the Holy Spirit. 
We've heard a variety of things. So some of you come from backgrounds where the Holy Spirit was talked about often and his gifts were normative in your experience of the church. And so you're very comfortable. In fact, you're like, hey, why don't we talk about that more often, right? There's others of you who come from maybe a background like mine that wasn't, it wasn't talked about hardly at all. And so you're kind of skeptical, uncomfortable. Maybe you come from a background where there wasn't a church uh, sort of supporting you or you don't come from a, a Christian background and so you come quite skeptical around things of the Spirit because you've watched televangelists and things got hokey, you know, and you feel a bit, um, bit nervous of, of what could be a show around the Holy Spirit. I remember in late high school and early college, I was a, I was a new Christian and uh, I had come to faith in Jesus, loved Jesus a whole lot and I had some friends um, who weren't a part of my church. I came to faith through the ministry of a Southern Baptist church in Mustang, Oklahoma. And I had friends that went to a church down the road. It was Assemblies of God Church. And as a new Christian, I loved Jesus. I wanted, I wanted to give my whole life to Jesus, but I had my friends from a different church down the road who had different experiences telling me that I didn't really have a real love for Jesus and my faith was lacking because I didn't speak in tongues like they spoke in tongues. And so they made me to feel like I had a bit of a less than faith. And what was crazy is they're telling me that my faith wasn't like their faith or even wasn't true faith. And I didn't even know my Bible well enough to know what tongues were. I didn't even know what they were talking about. That I didn't, I just know, I'm just trying to love Jesus. And so I, I later came to know what they were talking about as I knew my Bible a bit better and came to believe deeply in the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit, particularly the gift of tongues. But I wasn't sure that I wanted to be friends with them or be like them because of the way they made me to feel. We could probably go around the room today if we were to have moments of like one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two coffees and just sort of talk about your impressions of the Holy Spirit or your experiences with churches and even this topic, and we would have all kinds of different things to, to come forward. But here's what I want for us. I want us to be shaped. I want us to be shaped and formed more by a clear reading of Scripture than either what we grew up with and just assuming things or rejecting things because of people that we didn't like or we don't want to be like. I gotta really be more formed by a clear reading of scripture, whatever that means for us. You see, reactionary theology, coming to believe certain things about God or not believe certain things about God because of what you're reacting against, that kind of stuff is actually really unhelpful. It's passing away and it only serves to make us mad or divide us into tribes. It's really unhelpful, a reactionary theology. Instead, a clear reading of scripture and a response to it for our formation, that is different and it lasts forever. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And actually having a clear reading of scripture has the power for us today to do something really countercultural. It actually has the power to unify us as a church to unify us, even amidst our different backgrounds. And that's the whole discussion of the Spirit and His gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, the unity of the church. And so while this topic has actually sadly divided many Christians over and over again, the intent, the intent of why the Apostle Paul was writing was to unify the church at Corinth. Was to unify them, bring them together. The whole point of 1 Corinthians 13, this sort of love sandwich, as it were. You know, you have gifts in 12, gifts in 14, but in 13, you have this chapter on love. The whole point of this was that spiritual gifts are not the marker of true Christianity or true spirituality. 
Instead, the marker of true spirituality, Paul's contention, is love. It's love. And so here's our work today. Inside of chapter 13 that you picked up a couple of weeks ago, there's a verse that has caused faithful Christians to divide over the issue of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, particularly around gifts that are called the miraculous gifts or the revelatory gifts, particularly tongues and prophecy. There's a verse in here that's caused Christians to divide. And here's what I know as we jump into this today. Very few, if any of you, came to church with the burning thought, whoever stands behind that pulpit today, I just wonder if they're going to talk about whether tongues is active in the church today. Like I know that's not, that, that wasn't the thing driving you into the pew this morning. I, I get that. But here's what I do know. Many of you grew up in denominations like me where the topic of the Holy Spirit was either avoided altogether, like it was just sort of a mute issue. If it was referenced, it was just sort of a passing reference and moved right along. The Holy Spirit was relegated to sort of the weird cousin in the Trinity, right? It was either avoided altogether or if it was talked about, it was opposed. And this is not all of you. Some of you grew up in backgrounds that were more comfortable with this, but I know that's in the room. And so if we're going to give a fair reading of Scripture, and that's what we want to do. We, we want to give a fair reading of the Bible. We want to be people of the book. If we're going to take this seriously, then here's the thing. We can't read Scripture and avoid this issue. We, we need to know what does Scripture say and then try to respond accordingly. And so hang with me today because how we understand the issue of the Holy Spirit in the revelatory gifts, how we understand this is really important, not only for how we interact with those gifts, but also how we interact with people who claim to have those gifts and operate in those gifts. That's really important. But it's also important, just at a baseline, what are the gifts for? Like, why are they around? What, what, what do we do with them? What's God doing with them for us? And so here's how we're going to navigate this today. I just want to read the passage and talk about the two positions that Christians take. And then we'll talk about the view that our church holds on this issue. And then lastly, we'll talk about why does this even matter? Why, why, have, you, why have you taken 30 minutes of my life to talk about this, right? So the passage, the views, our church's view, and then why does it matter? So if you've got a Bible, pick up in chapter 13, verse 8. Chapter 13 and verse 8. Paul says this. Love never ends. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they're going to pass away. As for tongues, they're going to cease. As for knowledge, it too will pass away. Because we know in part, well, then we prophesy in part. But, he says, when the perfect comes, well, the partial things are going to pass away. And so of all the places where Christians have disagreed on an issue, leave it to a passage that's primarily about love where we experience that disagreement. The last thing that Paul had in mind when he wrote these scriptures was a debate. That's the last thing he had in mind. If anything, he was actually trying to put down a debate. To get rid of a debate, he says, love, love never ends. Now remember the, remember the context of chapter 13. The Corinthians loved the working of the Holy Spirit. They prided themselves in being very spiritual people. They prided themselves in what they called their spiritual experiences. 
They were elevating some gifts above others. They were judging the depth of another person's spirituality based on what gifts they had or did not have or what experiences they had or did not have. And Paul's writing to say, guys, stop this dividing over what you call your spiritual experiences. Love must be the priority. Love is the fuel that makes the engine of the gifts run. Love is the context that makes, love's flur- makes the gifts flourish in the church. Your spiritual gifts and your spiritual experiences without love, Paul contends in the beginning of chapter 13, your gifts without love, that's meaningless. At best, it's meaningless. Your experiences without love, at worst, it could actually be harmful. And so as he's telling them all of this, to make his point, he tells them that the very thing that they think makes them spiritual, namely tongues and prophecy, he says, don't you realize those things are actually one day going to pass away? They're going to cease to exist. Notice again in verse 8, as for prophecies, it's going to pass away. As for tongues, it's going to cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Now this is where, this is where things get interesting. You see, what Paul was trying to do in de-escalating this argument by giving a bigger perspective of eternal things has been taken by others to be the matter of debate. So when do these gifts pass away? When do these gifts cease? Verse 10 is going to tell us they cease when the perfect comes. And that's the center of where Christians divide over this. Well, what is the perfect? Can you define that for me? What is this perfect that's coming that will make these revelatory gifts cease? And when is it coming? What is it and when is it coming? And so when it comes to answering those questions, there are two positions. One is known as the position of cessationism. Cessationism, meaning the gifts have ceased and are irrelevant for the church today. These gifts have ceased, these workings of the Spirit have ceased and are irrelevant for the church today. The other view is called continuationism. Simple enough, the gifts continue and they're highly relevant for the church today. So there's a world of belief between these two views. And so briefly, the cessationist view would say that the perfect, the thing in question here, when these gifts are going to cease, they would talk about the perfect as referring to the time when the Bible is finished being written, when the last New Testament scripture was composed, well, that's when those gifts ceased. That was the arrival of the perfect. The church didn't have access to the scriptures like we do. They were being written. But when that last New Testament scripture was composed, they would say that is the arrival of the perfect. And the church at that point no longer had need for supernatural signs, for the supernatural workings of of the Spirit that the apostles needed during those initial moments of preaching and teaching about Jesus to authenticate their message. And so they would argue that with the closing of Scripture and with the death of the last apostle, these gifts ceased in the church. But when you look at this passage, when you look at this passage, there's reasons to doubt this interpretation. There's a lot of reasons to a doubt. And if you've been with us for these weeks studying this passage, if you've been around Frontline for any length of time, you know that we hold the other view, the continuationist view, and we do so eyes wide open. We do so deeply convicted and convinced. We hold this for several reasons. We'll just start with this passage. Instead of this passage giving a description of Scripture as the perfect, 
the context of what's being said is more clearly referring to the day that Jesus returns. That when Christ returns, that's the perfect that we're waiting for. That's the perfect that's going to deal with the partial and usher in a day of completion. Look at verse 12 of this passage. Paul says, for now, we see in a mirror dimly. And we would all say, yes, that's true. We don't, we don't know everything. We can't understand everything. We're looking in a mirror dimly. But then, in a reference to the perfect, when that comes, then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then at that time, I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. So it, just in the, con- in the brief context of this passage, Paul's giving a contrast of now versus then. He says now in verse nine, we have the partial, things like prophecy and knowledge and tongues. But then we're gonna have the perfect. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we're gonna see face to face. Now we know in part, but then we shall know fully, even as we've been fully known. And so far from these verses being about the completion of the Bible, they seem to be more about the return of Jesus. And I don't want you guys to miss what's really beautiful about these verses, not the debate. The debate's not beautiful. And frankly, I think the debate's pretty ugly. What's beautiful about these verses is this beautiful promise that there's coming a day, Christian, when you will see God face to face. That's amazing. The voice you have followed through this life by faith will on the great day be lit up in light face to face where faith is no longer needed. That day is coming for you. And then I would argue from this passage, it's at that time, that's the perfect. Like that sounds pretty perfect. That's the perfect. That's the completion that we're waiting for. Listen to leading New Testament scholar Tom Schreiner, who actually ironically is a cessationist, But he looks at this passage and understands it as the return of Jesus. He says, It is clear, therefore, that the perfect is another way to describe face-to-face. That seeing face-to-face most naturally refers to Christ's second coming. The idiom face-to-face in 1 Corinthians 13, 12 doesn't suggest something abstract like the New Testament canon, scripture, or spiritual maturity. Instead, it represents the language of encounter with God and so naturally refers to the second coming since then we will see Jesus face to face when the perfect comes. And so not only would I say and the leadership of our church hold that this passage is about the return of Jesus, it becomes the clearest scripture where we are assured that the gifts haven't ceased. They haven't ceased and they won't until the return of Jesus where they're no longer needed. We're in the presence of what all the gifts point us to. And so all the more reason, if this is the case, all the more reason for Paul then to open up just a few verses later, chapter 14 and verse one, commanding us to desire the spiritual gifts, commanding us to even desire greater workings of the Holy Spirit among us. And here's what's crazy about that. The gifts haven't ceased. Paul tells us to command them and he didn't even think to put an expiration date on when you should stop desiring them. He didn't put an expiration date there. He just said, get after them and you'll know when you don't need to desire them anymore because you'll see face to face. You won't even be worried about whether you should be desiring them. The desire you've been waiting for is in front of you. And so the bottom line, we believe the revelatory miraculous workings of the Holy Spirit continue today, 
not only because of how we read this passage, but because of how we read the rest of the New Testament on the Holy Spirit. Let me just drop it curbside for a second. At no point in our reading of scripture do we get the impression that God has ceased encountering his church with his power and presence like he did when it was written. If anything, our reading of the New Testament suggests however he was then, he's just the same today and we're even commanded to call out to him to continue to work more the same today as he did then. That's the contention. And so now, if it's true that these gifts are biblical, lean in with this, if these gifts are biblical and they're active today, then it stands to reason that we should be able to see testimonies of this stuff happening through the history of the church. We should be able to have testimonies of this. And here's what I want to do before I close today. I want to draw you into a few really amazing testimonies throughout the history of God's people starting in the second century. Less than 100 years after the New Testament was complete, Justin Martyr, who was an early Christian apologist, wrote this in the year 160. He wrote in his amazing work, Dialogue with Trypho. He says, the prophetic gifts remain with us, even to the present time. 20 years later, Irenaeus, an early church father, writes the same thing in more detail. He says this, for some do certainly and truly drive out devils. That was a, clearly a second century way of talking about spiritual warfare. So that those who have been cleansed from evil spirits frequently both believe in Christ and join themselves to the church. Others, he says, have foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions, they utter prophetic expressions. Others steal, uh, uh, steal. Others still heal the sick by the laying of hands upon them. And they are made whole. Yea, moreover, as I have said, the dead even have been raised up and remained with us for many years. In like manner, we do also hear many brethren in the church who possess prophetic gifts, who through the Spirit speak all kinds of languages and bring to light for the general benefit of everyone the hidden things of men and declare the mysteries of God. Moving on to the fourth century, historian uh, church historian Eusebius wrote this, quoting a pastor by the name of Apollinaris. Amazing names you should give your kids. <laughs> he says, For the apostle thought it necessary that the prophetic gifts should continue in all the church until the final coming. One more from Cyril of Jerusalem at the same time wrote this, For God employs the tongue of one man for wisdom. The soul of another he enlightens by prophecy. To another he gives power to drive away devils. We could keep going in the fifth century. You have the North African pastor and I'm showing you all these different places to say this is like happening all over the different places where they weren't interacting together necessarily one-on-one, -on -one, but they were just reporting what they were seeing. North African pastor, St. Augustine, who was one of the most influential theologians in the history of the church, has this amazing book called City of God where he devotes an entire chapter to the continuation of miracles, standing opposed to the idea that these gifts ceased with the apostles. He goes on to list in that chapter and document 70 instances of divine healing that happened in his own region over a two-year period, including healings from blindness, breast cancer, gout, paralysis, demonization, and even death. And that's just a snapshot of the first 500 years of the church. 
There's evidence in stories of miraculous gifts happening through the Reformation period in the 1500s from guys like John Knox, Richard Baxter, and even Charles Spurgeon up to the 1800s. And here's my point. If the gifts of the Spirit ceased with the closing of the New Testament and the death of the apostles, then someone should have told these people. Like someone should have let them know this is not supposed to be happening. They're like, yeah, but it's happening. Yeah, yeah, but it's happening. So here's the final today. Why does this matter? Why, why does this matter? It matters because it helps us understand the problem that Paul was writing to address in Corinth around the Holy Spirit and the gifts. We're just reading 1 Corinthians. We've got to understand why is Paul writing this? Why is he addressing this? And when we understand the Corinthian problem, then we can understand our problem. This is why this matters. When we understand the Corinthian problem, then we can see a bit more squarely our problem. Remember the context. Their problem is that they loved the working of the Spirit. They loved their spiritual experiences to the neglect of loving each other. And I actually don't think that that's our problem. We got to know their problem because it reads ours. But I don't think that's our problem. But it sure does expose our weakness. Here's what I mean. Where they loved the working of the Spirit to the neglect of loving each other, our problem is that we often neglect loving each other in the powerful ways that we could because so often we don't desire the Holy Spirit and his gifts, right? Like there are actually powerful ways that we could be edified and felt loved by one another that go beyond Oklahoma niceness, that go into like realms of the ministry of God to us. We could be loved by one another in more powerful ways if we more regularly desired the Holy Spirit and it wasn't just us being nice, but it was God intervening and we're ministering alongside. That's, that's something for us to think about. And so I think one of the reasons why we, why we neglect desiring the Spirit and His gifts is because we don't want things to get weird. Like I was hoping to frontline church to get away from the weird. And now you're talking about the weird might come for us. Can I, just, can I just do normal church? Like, I just want to pass. Listen, if we get after the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to mean that all of a sudden people are going to be sprinting up and down the aisles. Whatever you might be, I told downtown this last week. If you've, been in our, if you've been in our building, we have that balcony with the gold railing. I'm like, if we get after the ministry of the Holy Spirit, people aren't all of a sudden going to be doing kipping pull-ups from the gold railing. If you're afraid of the weird, let me just tell you, let me just out the weirdest that things are going to get. Let me just out the weird, and then you can sort of determine if you're in for it. If we get after the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I can promise you there will be an increase in godly character. Jesus tells us in John 15, John 16, that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment the Spirit will not allow disciples of Jesus to coexist in hypocrisy and faith on the other side. He will budge, nudge, push you out of it, right? If we get after the ministry of the Holy Spirit, there will be an increase in burning love for Jesus. Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit in John chapter 15, 
he bears witness about me, Jesus says. The Holy Spirit never draws attention to himself as though, wow, that's weird. Look at the Holy Spirit putting on a show. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, always bears witness of him. So getting after the Holy Spirit will mean an artifact of spirit work in the church is a growing love for Jesus. If you get after the Holy Spirit, you'll have a greater desire for the mission of Jesus in Edmond, in your neighborhood, on your block, at your workplace. Because the fact that Jesus hasn't come back means his mission is still working in the world and the Holy Spirit's still drawing people to Jesus. And you'll be more desirous to have on mission with Jesus. If you get after the Holy Spirit, you're going to have a greater burning desire for the day when he returns and you'll see him face to face when the gifts are no longer needed. Listen, if more godly character, if burning love for Jesus, if greater burden for his mission and greater burden for his return is weird, then count me in for the weird. Like, let's get weird. Let's do it. And listen, you're already weird. (laughs) You're already super strange. Do you realize as Christians, We believe, we hold this near and dear Apostles' Creed level stuff. We believe a Middle Eastern man died, resurrected from the dead, ascended to the right hand of God the Father is the hope not only for you or your city, but every person on the planet now and for all eternity. That is strange. (laughs) And you believe that convincingly because of the work of the Holy Spirit to make sense of that to you. And so getting after the Holy Spirit is only going to more squarely mark you as a person of Jesus, and that ain't so bad. That ain't so bad. Maybe prophetically in our moment, the church ought to get weird. The ministry of the Holy Spirit and his gifts to the church are all about God's work What are they for? They're for tethering you to Jesus so that you can finish the race and make it to the day where you see face to face, to the day where you'll be able to taste and to see love never ends. Just like Paul started the verse. Remember the words of Jesus in John 6? He says, this is the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent Jesus, and here it is, that he should lose nothing of all that he has given to him, but raise it up on the last day. That he should lose nothing. This is Jesus shouting, I will get you home. I'm not gonna leave you standing on the curb. I'm not gonna leave you holding the bag. You're not orphaned. I've come for you. I've given you my spirit, and I will lose nothing. That's the will of my Father, and he gets what he wants. This is one of the means by which he's holding on to us. He's keeping us. He's moving us to the finish line that we finished the race. He's given us his word. He's given us his church. He's given us his spirit. And the spirit works in us for our faith to be built up that we might bear witness of Jesus to our communities and make it to the great day when we will see face to face. Love never ends. And what I want so badly for us you think about Frontline Yukon, Shawnee, South, downtown, right here. I would love for us to be a people in our communities where we, we're just willing to risk for Jesus. To like really live out what we say we believe. And some of you are like, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. L- listen, I actually think it's not too far from anyone in this room. To be a person of risk for Jesus 
simply means building your life around this prayer. What if tomorrow morning you woke up? Maybe, maybe to this afternoon you just give it a test drive, okay? Like it's not for real, just kind of trying it. But like, what if tomorrow morning you woke up with a test drive today and you just offered Jesus, whatever you want from my life, the answer is yes. Before you move, before you speak, before you nudge, before you invite, I just want to put my yes on the table. Yes. And Holy Spirit, will you please help me to hear your voice and follow? Like, if we just start building our life around that simple prayer, that is a massive uptick. Whatever you want, yes. Holy Spirit, help me to hear your voice and follow. We'll let God do the rest. I don't need to dictate that, control that, manipulate that, watch over that, supervise. He's resurrected from the dead. He'll take care of his kingdom with his people. Yes, help me listen. Far be it from us to be a group of people who just hold fort until the great day. Give me as much of God in my moment that I have as seamless a transition as possible from this life to everlasting life. Make me weird. Make me weird. Let's pray together. Our Father, I want to, with my friends here today, to collectively offer personally and again for all of us just the prayer that we're, we want to build our life around. Jesus, whatever you want for us, the answer is yes. Whatever you want for our church, whatever you want for us, whatever you want for our neighborhood? The answer is yes. Holy Spirit, would you help us to hear your voice and follow? Your kingdom come, your will be done, just like it's happening in heaven. Make it happen here. Amen.